Are we are we live? Oh, you've been live this whole time. Okay. <laughs> I do like crypto nerdcore rap. I used to read Usenics with crypto fiends, salts and nonces, math like you've never seen it. Bitcoin still holds a special place in our heart. Yeah, I mean, we could do that track on that. We could turn this podcast into basically me rapping. <laughs> Mainframe consensus computers like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, the, the, the big bad, um, big bag, ugly global kind of guys. And, and we'll call the first phase initiation, the second phase integration, and the third phase illumination. Self-proclaimed internet biophysicists, sustainability, existential monetary localist. Ethan Buckman is the co-founder of Cosmos and the CEO of Informal Inc. Building on Cosmos, but also thinking about how blockchain can be used to reimagine our future, whether that comes to governance, constitutions, but specifically how we use our money and what our money means to us. This winding conversation, we covered a lot of ground, really incredibly interesting. He's a great thinker. I think you're going to truly enjoy this conversation. Did, did you start as a Bitcoiner? Uh, yeah, I mean, one could say I'm, I still am one, but um, yeah, definitely. You're not allowed to be a Bitcoiner if you like other coins. Come on, they pull yeah, your card. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no, I, uh, I, I secretly, you know, our secret plan is for Cosmos to save Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of Bitcoin maxis at the heart of Cosmos. And, you know, so we, we it, Bitcoin still holds a special place in our heart. Let's put it like that. Um, okay, yeah. so how are you going to save Bitcoin? Uh, you know, by scaling it, by by uh, using app-specific chains to leverage Bitcoin security and offer new functionality, but you know, still honoring the kind of core values. Yeah. So, how much then with Cosmos is actually being built on Bitcoin? Because obviously, that's not the part of it you hear about. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a few projects. So there's the um, there's the Babylon project, which is explicitly about using Bitcoin security to enhance the security of proof of stake networks. Um, and that's built using the Cosmos tech and, and a lot of Cosmos chains are like stoked about leveraging Bitcoin security for, for themselves. Um, and then there's also the Nomic project, which is, which is built as a, basically a Bitcoin sidechain where the Bitcoins are controlled by a multi-sig that is basically the validator set of the sidechain. So you have a, you have basically a validator set of a Cosmos chain that controls a multi-sig on Bitcoin. And anytime the validator set changes, the multi-sig changes. And that way you can, you can move Bitcoin in and out of the, in and out of the chain. And it's basically uh, trusting that validator set essentially, you know? Yeah. So would you get, say that you get support from the Bitcoin community for these projects or would you get pushback or is it some strange mix of That's both? Good question. I don't, I don't know if we really care. I think we get kind of general support. I'm I don't not know if telling they really you should know, care. But, I'm just yeah, curious yeah, yeah. what they say. No, no, it's good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know who really, you know, is the Bitcoin community anymore. There is like something of a Bitcoin community in Cosmos that, you know, Cosmos is always about like, you know, the, um, let's say, uh, I don't know, polyamorous expression of, uh, of different, um, polycentric expression of, of different, um, different values. And there's always been sort of an understanding in the Cosmos community that Bitcoin is sort of at, at a root level, like Bitcoin and also Ethereum to some extent, but, um, that they carry different uh, different purposes, and that we should honor that and respect it, and, and we do. So, from that perspective, I think the Bitcoiners respect us. So, actually, I don't know if you know if you know that I'm um, I do like crypto nerdcore rap, and the original the original rap I did when was when we went to a Bitcoin conference back in 2015, and I, we were like going to talk to them about proof of stake and Tendermint and all this stuff for two hours, and I was like, before I do that, let me give you Juicy's Biggie, but about Bitcoin. And so I, I uh, do you remember you know, it? Yeah, I know the rap. Yeah, it was all a dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to read Usenix with crypto fiends, salts and nonces, math like you never seen. Anyways, it's on YouTube. I could, uh, 
like that. for your audience if you want. Yeah, I need that. So, uh, I'm one of the world's biggest Biggie fans. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we could do that now, track on that. We could turn this podcast into basically me rapping. <laughs> well, you know, I was a DJ for 20 years. That's, that's amazing. What, that's what I did as a career long before this. I DJ for the Wu Tang guys, a bunch of other people. So, yeah, that's uh, dude, sick. your man, man after my own heart. Uh, yeah. for sure. That's awesome. I've written a bunch of hits. So outside of uh, rapping and yeah. staying true to your Bitcoin roots, yeah. <laughs> um, what's your main focus now? Well, I, I mean, individually, but more, I think, from the Cosmos perspective. It's a project uh, it's been on my radar for a very long time. I actually, like your community, supported the podcast very early. I've had cool. a ton of people from uh, different projects working with you on over the years. So what are you guys really focused on at this moment? Are we Are we live? Oh, you've been live this whole time. Okay. That's how I do it, man. I just uh, hit you with the get you comfortable rapping, and then all of a sudden we get into the real shit. Uh, I wasn't sure, um, but that's good. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about, you know, the audience and stuff and what direction we should take this and um, and things like that. But uh, uh, I, I don't know them. So, They've yeah. never been to my house. So yeah. I just guess that there are people who show up and they trust that whoever I talk to will be interesting enough to be here. Work, so yeah. I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that works. Yeah. So, uh, so what am I interested in these days? Yeah. So, you know, the way I've been, the way I've been telling the Cosmos story is, um, you know, Cosmos is really about what, what we call the community computer revolution, right? Just like, just like personal computers took us from like, the mainframe idea of, you know, we have this computing technology, transistors and all this, people start building mainframes, they're really inaccessible, they only live in IBM's basement. And, um, you know, and then the personal computing revolution comes along, and gives everyone access to this technology. Now you have your own personal computer, right? We see the same sort of thing playing out in, in the blockchain space, where you start with these, like, you know, you, you have this new computing primitive, what we might call consensus computing. Um, and then you have these like mainframe consensus computers like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, the, the, the big, bad, um, big, bad, ugly global kind of guys. And then what Cosmos is offering is this like community computer vision that anyone could have one of these kind of consensus computers that they can be scaled down and, and, and they can be offered in sort of a general purpose way. And, 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 and Cosmos at a high level is, you know, it's not a particularly new project in, in, in the scheme of things in, in blockchain. The white paper was written in, initial white paper was written in 2016 and was fully shipped by 2021 and has started, you know, has seen like a pretty substantial uh, success and, and, and adoption over the years. And so the way I've been framing what Cosmos is up to is that you know, the broad story of of, of Cosmos is, is happening in three phases. And, and we'll call the first phase initiation, the second phase integration, and the third phase illumination. Um, and so the initiation phase is done and it is sort of completed last year. And now we're moving, you know, squarely into the into the integration phase. But in order to understand what we need to do in the integration phase, we got to understand, you know, what the what what illumination is um is really about. And 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 ultimately for me, you know, I think we're on the we're on the cusp of say like large scale constitutional reform that's going to play out over the next, you know, few decades um on the scale of of maybe what happened in in say the 19th century where you have sort of new constitutions coming together for for nation states and and, and sort of new approaches to money and and industry and you know uh, corporations become a sort of common thing and, and and so on we're on the cusp of something like that similarly um happening and in 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 the 19th century it was about you know nation states and and, and moving on from empires um and so on and i think in the 21st century it's about um it's about city states and bioregions right and 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 bringing down the you know, what we actually represent in our social organizations, I call it um, stakeholders and state machines, right? We build all these state machines, they need to represent the stakeholders that care about them, that use them, that run them. Um, and we do a really bad job of representing cities, which are the actual like nexus of civilization and uh, and bioregions, which is, you know, the planet that that keeps, a, keeps us alive. If you like, you know, people and, and land. 
most of the people are in cities and then and, and then there's land. So most of our most of our structures are built around capital, capital accumulation and and thinking like that. Um, and um, and and we need to move beyond that to better represent you know people and land if we're going to have a shot at you know being a sustainable um, civilization. And I think what was sort of interesting about the crypto revolution and 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 Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin has has had very much a sort of capital um, and sort of capitalistic focus. Uh, it sort of hinted that that there was more to the story here that you know communities could use this kind of you know Bitcoin is like kind of fundamentally a, a human rights technology and hints at this idea that communities can use this technology to you know build systems where they can better define what's valuable um, what's valuable to them. But in order to you know this is a sort of long winded way to get back to your question, what am I working on? What am I excited about? But in order to um, in order for this all to work in order to get to this you know phase of illumination, constitutional reform, all that all that kind of good stuff, we need this technology to be much more accessible, much more usable, much more uh, much more performant and to tap into the actual real world use cases where it kind of matters. And um and so you know we think about uh, at, at Informal which is which is the company I, I run now, Informal Systems, we've been sort of a major core developer within within Cosmos the last few years. Uh, we think about sort of three key institutions of society that we're going after or that the Cosmos technology is giving us the opportunity to go after and those are uh, software, how we build and deploy it, money, how we issue and distribute it, and organizations, how we own and govern them. And we're sort of working in parallel on all three sort of pillars and and using um, you know using the Cosmos technology and the interchain vision as as we sort of call it um, to go after that. And so to make software you know more reliable and using techniques like like formal methods um, to make money more of a uh, you know, more more tuned to what it's actually for as a medium of exchange and a clearing solution, rather than just a, a store of value and a, a sort of settlement solution, which is sort of what blockchains get obsessed with. So we can get we can get deep into that because that's what I'm most focused on now. What I call um, collaborative finance, as opposed to decentralized finance. And then there's um, and then there's the organizational side of things and sort of moving away from you know pure shareholder based corporations to more cooperatives and and to you know whatever the future of of DAOs are going to be. But DAOs are still kind of you know pretty nebulous. And I think I, uh, I want to talk about guided. collaborative finance because all we hear about is decentralized finance. So I want to know yeah. what that is. And you said that's what you're passionate about. So that's, let's go. That's there. where I'm at. Yeah, let's go there. So. You know, so I've been convinced for a long time that money is the killer app of crypto, but that um, most of crypto doesn't really know what it's doing when it comes to when it comes to money and it comes to the problem. We're still kind of stuck in this like, you know, old Austrian um, uh, store of value kind of mindset. And so the way I've been framing it is that, you know, if we, if we really want to go after the problem of money and banking, we need to understand the history of money and banking. We need to understand what, what money and banks, what they actually do. Um, and, and, and there's a few different ways of framing this and I'll give you, I'll give you a few of them, but one at sort of, at sort of a high level is, is to understand that, uh, banks are able to leverage the trust that they have between themselves to save massive amounts of liquidity, right? What, what banks are doing is they're providing a payment system. Fundamentally money is about payments. Money is where the payments are, right? It's not about hoarding. It's not about the pet rock. It's not about the store of value. That's not to say store of value function isn't, isn't an important function for payments, but money is about payments, right? And, and the banking system is what grew up to enable the system of payments, the global system of payments we have, we have today. And you could think about payments as, 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 as having two sides, right? There is the, there is the obligation, which is like the debt that um, that you create through real world sort of exchange activity. And then there is the, the sort of settlement, the actual transfer of an asset to extinguish a debt. Right. And um, you need both. Otherwise, you know, there isn't really you don't really have a real payment system. You need the obligations and you need um, you need the asset transfers. And everyone likes to, you know, people often think about, oh, money is just a convenience for a medium of exchange. And it just arrives as a convenience of, of barter and, and all that sort of stuff that kind of misses the whole, you know, that takes for granted that the whole thing is synchronous, right? And that, you know, I have something and, and you have something and money is just sort of a, a convenience for that. When in reality, money is about debt, is about denominating and discharging debt, right? 
And and what's interesting about blockchains is, yeah, they you know they seem to have be some kind of revolution in in money, but they've largely failed to address the problem of debt and to really grapple with the sort of more credit theories of money that are um, that need to be combined. Let's say with you know the kind of Austrian um, Austrian economics background. And so one way I frame what's sort of happening with with banks and blockchains and and what we're calling CoFi or collaborative finance is that the banks. For hundreds of years, they have built these clubs where they get together and they save themselves massive amounts of liquidity in order to build up, you know, their payment system, right? And so they're netting out debts between each other all all day, uh, and that that reduces the amount of actual money that they need to have to do business. So they do all this clearing, they keep it for themselves, but then they build a settlement system that they offer to everyone else, right? So everyone else just gets to move their, you know, move money around, but doesn't really get to participate. In the um, in the obligation clearing in the netting, um, you know that, that the banks sort of get to do, and so then blockchain show up, and blockchains kind of say, well, look, you know what these bankers are doing. We don't like that. We don't like you know debt and and trust and credit. Let's try to get rid of all of that. Let's just build a settlement system, but build it open and for anyone, right? And what's missing there is the other side of, of of settlement, which are the debts, the obligations, the trust, and so on. And so what Kofi is saying is is coming and saying, look, yeah, blockchains, you got the right idea, but we need to also include this clearing component because this is the foundation, you know, where trust is coming from in society. We need to find ways to put trust sort of back on chain, and we can do this by focusing in on clearing, which is really the missing piece that's necessary to build a successful um, a successful payment system. And so, you know, from the perspective of Kofi, it's about settlement and clearing. Um, for everyone, so that's that's kind of high level and um, and maybe a little bit big. I'd be happy to get into in, in, into more concrete um, details. But the other thing I want to put out there that I think is really really important because this is really guiding the the direction we're using is that so much of like monetary economics and and even in blockchains is driven by reasoning about game theory, by reasoning about you know independent agents and and sort of rational, subjective, uh, individualistic, atomistic. Um, uh, you know, preferences and, and and reasoning. And what we want to move towards is a perspective based on graph theory and network theory, because the monetary system and the payment system, it's a graph. It's a network of debts, right? And those debts are are, are discharged by people making transfers along along those lines where they, where they have debts. And that graph, if you have access to it, if you can see it, if you can visualize it, you can start to do a lot of interesting things. For example, that you can discover that there is actually structure in the graph, there's balance in the graph that allows you to clear debt with no money at all, right? And and this is really easy to, to think about. If I owe you $100 and then you owe me $100, we don't need to transfer any money. We can just clear those debts, right? That's kind of an obvious case. But if I owe you $100 and you owe Alice $100 and Alice owes me $100, normally we're not going to be aware that there's a closed loop there. But if we become aware, then we can, we can sort of net out our debts in that loop and, and you know, clear that debt without, without any money. And so it turns out these loops exist all throughout society. And by, by being able to view the, the monetary system as a graph and apply sort of graph theory to it, we can significantly reduce the amount of money needed to discharge you know, more and more debt. Um, and we can use the money that we do have in a sort of more intelligent and more, uh, more optimized way to uh, you know, to clear debts for more people and 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 uh, you know work through gridlock in the payment system and things like that. So it starts at sort of a low level, but it potentially has much larger um, implications when you start viewing the network because then you can start to see the patterns of trust that actually exist in society, and you can leverage that within the structure of your payment system to think about you know where new currencies ought to be created and and how currency ought to flow in sort of an optimal way to you know to enable people to to sort of grow and 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 improve um, you know commerce and so on. That was a lot, but. 
you know, I'm, I'm excited. And so I'll just put it all out you there. Can, you make my job way now. easier yeah, when yeah, you yeah. do a lot because it, uh, it allows me to just see your mental flow and I don't really have to interrupt and ask questions. So I think that that was really perfect. So how can the average person who's utilizing the network, how can the average person in some foreign country who's just trying to get by benefit from the idea of collaborative finance? Because most people we know are still just trying to pay their bills. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, so, and, and I do want to say also, interestingly, you described that as sort of the killer app being money of crypto. And I always say that stable coins are the killer app, but it's like you've taken that and gone a step deeper. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we could, we could talk about stable coins. I think there's, there's a lot of potential issues there, but, but that's sort of, you know, along, along the right lines, but we do need to go a step further for the average person. Like you said, the average person just trying to, you know, just trying to get their debts paid. Right. And, and, and generally, you know, uh, people face a kind of cash flow problem, right? And a lot of small businesses even, um, you know, they're facing a situation where they're a solvent business. If you look at their balance sheet, their assets exceed their liabilities, right? They look like a healthy, profitable, solvent business. But the reality day to day is that there might be some kind of uh, duration mismatch, right? They're, they're trying to collect on their invoices in order to pay their bills. And if they can't collect fast enough, they might go out of business, even though they're technically solvent sort of, sort the of old accounts payable, receivable right? problem. Yeah, exactly. You know, matching <laughs> accounts receivable and, and accounts payable. And so if you're, if you, if you collect accounts payables from people, um, then you can start to map them out. And if and and it turns out just naturally because of the structure of society, there are closed loops in that graph, right? And so this offers a way for people to say, look, I have these payables and I have this cash. And if a lot of people come together and do that on a common platform, then we can optimize to re to discharge more debt with the minimal amount of cash, right? And in some cases, people will have their debts reduced with no cash at all. And in other cases, people's cash will be able to be used to uh, to discharge multiple debts or, or or for many people, right? And so you get this sort of like velocity multiplier that allows allows people's existing cash to go much further and can potentially significantly ease the cash flow burden on a sort of typical small business you know, if they're participating in this and, and and if others are as well. And so that's sort of what we're focused on, what we're looking at, because we think there's an opportunity to here to sort of reformulate the entire discipline of, of monetary economics and put it on sort of sound graph theory, network theory uh, footing, and also, you know, directly improve the lives and, and financial health and situation of, you know, the 200 million small businesses uh, across the world. So the challenge then is to build that first. But second is to deploy it in a way that it's easy and understandable for every single person, which I would say has been the biggest impediment for literally everything being built in blockchain so far. Yeah. UX, UI, yeah. meme, grandma can't use it. The obvious things, memory, memorizing seed phrases, the terror of being your own bank. We all know the problems. Yeah. How much closer are we becoming to making these processes as familiar as, uh, you know, making a PayPal transfer or signing into your social media account or any of the other things that people have become comfortable and familiar with? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still not there yet. I mean, it's going to it's going to take more time and more sort of real world applications and, and, and pressure from that. Um, you know, I think there are there are some like cryptographic advances that will continue to sort of help um, ease these sorts of things and, and, and make it so that, you know, you can still in a relatively trustless way or by trusting small numbers of people, um, you know, be able to easily use these kinds of systems and provide um, simple UX. So I, I think that's coming. And that's, you know, a big part of kind of what, you know, how I describe this integration phase. I mean, this is for Cosmos, but it sort of applies to blockchains in general. You know, this integration phase thing, yeah, is really about um, integrating with the real world, right? And making it possible for real world systems uh, to come on to come online. But but that requires trust. I mean, so much of the real world operates on trust. And we have this sort of, you know, vision in crypto of like, trustlessness. And it's important to have a base foundation of trustlessness as like a uh, a guarantor of a certain kind of international human right like that is that is fundamental but in order for this actually to reach you know the large majority of people we have to figure out how to bring trust back in 
in a way that sort of makes sense for people, but that also doesn't create, you know, you know, too much risk and lock them in and, and so on. And I think that's where these ideas of like, um, you know, sovereignty and interoperability that are so core to Cosmos really come in because it, because it really puts the, puts the thing front and center. That's like, okay, you are, you know, each community can be sovereign over its infrastructure and its applications. It can make decisions for itself. What sort of levels of trust uh, it wants to embed in in the system and who else it wants to you know engage with and connect with and 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 so on. But we still have you know I think uh, quite a ways to go to really make this stuff usable for the real world and for real world um, applications, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. So Cosmos obviously interoperability is key. Do you still believe at your core that we'll have multiple winning layer ones and blockchains, and that the key is to get them working together? Or do you think that we're going to get to a point where one or two of these are so powerful, fast, that cheap, that uh, they can actually win and sort of handle everything? One yeah, chain no, to rule them all, so to speak. No, you know? no, no, no. I, I will, I will remain against the one chain to rule them all until I die. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I, that that doesn't mean I'm not a strong believer in certain chains, and that certain chains will, um, you know, will be around for a long time. I mean, I. Um, I, I think that basically Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, and the Cosmos philosophy are are here to stay, um, at least. And uh, you know, and, and the Cosmos philosophy philosophy kind of includes within it, you know, the broader scope of of all the other sort of L ones, which each represent their own kind of sovereign communities. Many of them just, you know, their their identity is is basically uh, Ethereum killer in this direction or in that direction or in some other direction. But um, you know, Cosmos is a lot more a lot more sort of broad than that. And and the idea. You know, if if we're really talking about you know ultimately constitutional reform and and these being you know we think of these things as tools for political economic expression. That's how I describe uh, that's how I describe Cosmos as, as as tools to enable us to work through this constitutional struggle that's playing out around us and that is going to you know formalize over the next few decades properly in real material changes to you know the structure of countries and 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 cities and um and and so on. And so we need to mature these tools to be able to do that. But that's going to lead to a state where there certainly are many blockchains. You know. Ideally, I think they will be sort of jurisdictionally bounded. So they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll serve particular regions, bioregions, cities, um, and 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 at different scales. And and we'll sort of have like a, you know, I describe it as like a fractal hierarchy of relationships um, between them. And there will be certainly competition at at, at different layers and, and different scales for people saying, you know, wanting to compete to be at the top or whatever exactly that might mean. Uh, though I do think Bitcoin's going to win it, and and um, you know, that's mostly because of its proof of work and and, and conservative philosophy and things like that. But uh, you know, I think Ethereum will certainly have a role there and probably others will too. But what I'm most interested in is the sort of, you know, more local geographical and, and bioregional sort of representations um, in, in order to reset basically how we do accounting broadly, broadly as a society and, and, you know, how we organize what we value um, in a way that allows for a lot more, you know, polycentricity and, and, um, uh, and other kind of values to shine through and doesn't just try to denominate everything in like the USD, right? And, and when we just say, oh, stablecoins, USD stablecoins is the killer app. It's not really, it's kind of a red herring. It's sort of like, oh, it's just sort of like giving up. It's like, yeah, temporarily. Problems. Yeah, temporarily. Okay. That's, so that's, I mean, that's yeah, when I say it's the killer, yeah. I should uh, reframe that. Yeah. When I say it's the killer app, it's the killer app so far outside of Bitcoin. Sure. I talk about all these ideas that we have and just none of them have really reached mainstream adoption, but stable coins yeah. have. Stable right. Coins if have. you're yeah. in a hyper a country with hyperinflating, currency yeah. or you know currency devaluation as much as we would love the idea that everybody's rushing to buy bitcoin they're not they want dollars yeah. right and yeah. and stable coins solve that that's what i mean by it being the killer app so far yeah. <laughs> i certainly don't believe that tokenized fiat is the going to be the end game for, for crypto as a bitcoiner right 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 exactly so 
you know, so that that question of what is the end game and how do we even like chart a course to it? And and frankly, it requires a diversion through like monetary theory and history. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of skeletons in that closet that we need to dig up and 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 reckon with that I think, you know, challenge some amount of sort of Bitcoin fundamentals and, and Austrian e economics, which you kind of have to come to the conclusion is just like completely immature or insufficient um, for the purposes at hand, right? And we need we need broader theory, like the you know subjective value theory and marginalism isn't sufficient to reason through uh, what's ahead of us, right? And this is where the sort of graph theory um, approach comes in of of, of CoFi and, and collaborative finance, because these are we're, we're talking about unlocking economic possibilities that are only enabled through the through collaboration. Uh, and like sharing of debts. And it's a very concrete kind of collaboration. You're basically pooling your obligations in, in a common place so that you can map them out, so that you can find cycles, so that you can optimize to do more with less money, right? Um, there's this like fixation on the the quantity of money in the system. Everyone's obsessed with like monetary quantities and quantity theory and, you know, how many reserves is the Federal Reserve printing? And, and, and none of that almost matters at all. Uh, because the important thing is about not the stock of money, but the flow. How does money flow in society? Who does it flow to? Where you know where when it comes in, when it's created, where does it flow from there? Does it just stockpile here, or does it just you know sit stale, or how is it flowing? And so you know, moving towards more of a quality theory of money that is a study really of of the sort of network and and the flows um, is is where we need to push the whole the whole space to actually even start to answer the question of what does it mean to create new units of account and and stores of value and for to have people start to use them um, you know as money in in their real lives. You know, so I think. We can get there, but it's sort of uh, we have some steps to pass through. So, what happened to DeFi? Are we just skipping it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> DeFi is interesting. Um, DeFi is kind of interesting. It's uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's an exploratory space, and 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 I think they are you know, um, we're it, it gives an opportunity to experiment with a lot of new kinds of constructs that I think are are important in general. I think the sort of um, you know, exploration in, in AMM design and bonding curves, automated market makers, this, this kind of stuff. And, and in general, sort of having, um, you know, it, it sort of serves as an, as an incentivization layer to sort of improve the overall quality of like distributed systems and cryptography and, uh, and things like that. And so I think that's been really useful and we've seen sort of major advances in, uh, in cryptography for sure. And, you know, arguably distributed systems too. Um, and so I, I, I think it's valuable for that, but I think it's also kind of a, also kind of a red herring, right? Because if, if all we do is make the is make like the existing financial system like well, we learned okay. we learned what we right the CFI DeFi knockoffs. We learned how exactly. it went when we just uh, created the the financial system with inferior rails and less <laughs> regulation. Exactly, and right. We just basically uh, have a lot of bankruptcies. Exactly. So, but I think do you think that that's what DeFi is, or do you think that that's just a really bad and bastardized version of DeFi? No, I think that look, I think I think. Um, there, there's an element of DeFi that's directly an extension of the fundamental like guarantor of human rights that that you know Bitcoin represents, right? It's just like cryptographic primitives to protect you know uh, uh, independent sovereign um, you know privacy preserving exchange, let's say at sort of a general layer. It's, it's just like a guarantor of like fundamental basic human right to to transact, right? Um, and so you need that, and 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 we will continue to need innovation on that and, and enablement on that. But DeFi has gone, you know, way further than that. So there's like, you know, you could say there's like the blue chip DeFi sort of foundation that um that that is important. And then there's just this been like, you know, explosion of you know innovation, you you, you could call it, but experiment that are really just about like finance and lending and yield and APR and 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 you know gambling and 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 casinos uh, and and all this sort of degenerate stuff and and I mean you know people take pride in this sort of degenerate um, degenerate label so I mean that in a sort of endearing way but uh, <laughs> that stuff's important because it because it can you know it's it, it finances us getting to the next step 
But let's not pretend that it isn't what it is, which is, you know, a direct extension of like existing, you know, financial mechanisms and and sort of, um, uh, you know, but more degenerate. More, more degenerate. degenerate. Yeah, exactly. It's a, literally exactly. a more degenerate version of the existing yeah. financial system. Yeah, it's a place for all your most degenerate desires. An unregulated stock market of uh, of non companies. I, I mean, we know that, right? I mean, we yeah. know that uh, when when these meme coins start dropping and we go into meme coin season, you see billion dollar valuation, uh, billion dollar market caps on meme coins. That there's something wrong here. Yeah, but it's an extension of it's not like something that's unique to crypto, right? It's an extension no. of existing patterns of behavior. And you've seen the same issues in, you know, VC and startup and on the stock market and, you know, all over the world. So it's not it's not like it's something new. And um, yeah, I don't want to like dismiss it outright because I think there is important innovation and 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 progress that, that happens there. And it does finance like real, you know, real um uh, forward technical motion and like I said, cryptography, distributed systems, even economics and 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 so on but taking crypto to the next level does require something you know i think another step and we've seen this sort of refi uh movement you know regenerative finance we're just sort of trying to push i've never even heard of that more... so i'm, I'm okay great yeah. i'm still in DeFi, man I... yeah 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 well so the the refi movement was sort of like you know the like green branch of DeFi, let's say right the like carbon credits and and, and these sorts of things and, and 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 there's some good stuff in there but a lot of it you know a lot of that rhetoric also kind of gets um Kind of gets captured, and you know, um, you, there's all these issues with you know carbon credits and reforestation, just all the usual silly like linear monoculture thinking that um, 20th century humans are known for. And so, you know, we're trying to push it, you know, towards this. Yeah, this, this, this is why we we needed, we felt we needed a new term, collaborative finance. And partially, I mean, where from where I'm coming from, for for a long time, I've been I've been talking about, you know, local currencies, community currencies, mutual credit systems. These are sort of small scale alternate money systems that have always felt like uh, really important to the future of of sustainability. I was sort of, you know, completely sold on that um, that sort of vision. The way I describe it, I have a philosophy of um, sustainability existentialism that leads me to a, a politics of monetary localism. And you know these these uh, local money systems are, are sort of a big part of it, but it always felt like something was was really missing to make that um, to really make those things scale and, and and achieve broad adoption. There are a few successful examples of them, and some of them are even starting to use blockchain tech. And I always sort of thought like there's really you know blockchains really have a role to play in 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 making this the killer app of money, the thing beyond just um, just stable coins. And it wasn't till uh, this paper came out in in, in 2021 called um, uh, Liquidity Saving Through Obligation Clearing. That really spelled this all out and, and and put the dots together. Um, and you know, so the three authors of that paper, we I ended up getting in touch with them. They all now work with me at, at, at Informal Systems, and we sort of kicked off this this co-fi movement by taking that um, and and really trying to turn that into a um, in, in, into a larger vision that you know it's really about looking at the sort of network of debts, the network of obligations that that exists in in society, and using that as the foundation of your payment system, because then you can offer clearing. To everyone, to to you know, actively work to reduce the amount of debts in society with the least amount of money, and you can do it in a way where you can start to introduce money in a really deliberate and and sort of um, you know precise manner again with the goal of reducing debt. So it's not this like ad hoc blunt you know liquidity injection like we get from the Fed in the form of QE. It's something that's very you know precise and and sound and and properly mathematically driven, not just like economists putting their fingers in the air and asking you know how much money to to you know to uh, to buy bonds with or whatever, but, um, you know, something much more sort of fundamental than that. And so that really, that really lit me up and, um, you know, and now that's a big thing we're working on. Yeah. So, uh, you talk about obviously the future of constitutions, the way that society will be structured. Largely, it seems like DAOs are the initial version of that. Although I think they've largely failed thus far in their first yeah. iterations. 
how do we get there from nation states? Because to, to have that, you obviously have to see, I don't know, the United States fail, China fail, right? Yeah. Or, or are you saying that this is a parallel system in jurisdictions that are more friendly to this conceptually and some people still continue to live in the existing system? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know exactly. I don't, I, I don't really want to think about you know America and China failing because they're not going <laughs> to fail without massive wars and because they were in full Mad Max, and, right? Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I try to think. Okay, is there a sort of graceful way to allow them to like unwind their power or like you know nudge them into like, hey, like you know we've we've kind of got you in a corner cryptographically speaking it's time to unwind and and you know let's still we can still acknowledge your legitimacy but you need to you need to give something in in return and so on and so so i think there i i, I you know i'm not at some level i'm an optimist um so i like to like to think there is a path there um without you know too much war uh you know trying to be a realist as well and you know student of history and 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 so on um i do think there is a lot we can do i mean one way i think about it you know so dowser dowser are interesting but mostly because of sort of what they're missing um and so i think you know generally speaking again there's a lot of like good energy and and, and creativity and, and excitement and it's going to drive things forward but similar to DeFi, i feel like it's really missing the sort of fundamentals of organizational design <laughs> essentially just like DeFi is missing kind of fundamentals of yeah to me theory. it's like mostly lord of the flies sure yeah <laughs> you know we just uh, and in all of these things i mean power is just everywhere right and so like you need to you need to take into account the like realities of you know power and the dynamics of power and 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 at the end of the day the way to sort of start to cut through these things is by thinking about debts and promises and obligations right and and, and so at, at informal we use a language we call workflow to really um it's really a language for talking about promises promise making right making and managing promises because everything you do in an organization it really boils down to the promises you're making right the, the consensual expectations uh that you develop with other with the other humans um you're working with and trying to be explicit about that and, and reasoning through the continuous sort of promise redemption redemption loops that occur uh you know whenever uh you know anywhere in an, in an organization and so you know better language for for actually reasoning about accountability that's not just like you know waving your hands and pretending um kind of power doesn't exist but trying to trying to really embed it in in a problem of well who's making promises and what are they promising what scope and what time horizon um and and really thinking in in those kinds of terms you start to you know understand hierarchy or other things that kind of you know DAOs are are, are you know want to, to to throw out or whatever as really emerging from the structure of the promises that are being made you know one way to think about what a ceo ceo does is they're the person that makes the broadest scope and the longest time horizon promises to the rest of the organization right and typically they make it they make those promises to the board that's that's um you know that's who they're performing for but what the other thing we need to do is close the loop between the board and the employees the other the other people in the organization and that's where cooperatives come in right and so informal is actually structured as a as a workers cooperative so it's a sort of one person one vote um organization right and i think that's something a lot of DAOs are also potentially kind of missing because they're still very much driven by sort of capital who, who holds the most coins voting and, <laughs> yeah exactly buy more right? coins get votes. more votes yeah. yes yeah exactly and so that's certainly something we need to move away from if we're going to actually sort of bring humans back in the loop and and you know represent the people and the land and not just um capital is sort of the way i framed this initially um and you know sort of historically speaking there was there was a you know this is um uh I don't want to offend your audience too much, but uh, depending on depending on who they are, but just talking about you know his, history of uh, of economics and sort of early days of socialism, right? Um, there were uh, th there were 
other socialisms besides Marx's. There was sort of the anarchist and there was the the workers' cooperative um cooperative works, movement kind of yeah, kind worked of early tremendously on. Yeah, you, well in Israel, of course. Yeah. Exactly, right? But even but even long before that, but um, you know, in the early 1800s, you had this sort of Robert Owen and the origin of the workers' co-op movement. And he was sort of wildly successful um in England until he tried to start, you know, some utopian commune in in, in the States and, and that failed. But um the worker cooperative sort of idea it seems really fundamental to fundamentally important to me because sort of workers and employees within an organization are so critical to the organization and are sort of chronically underrepresented. And so that you end up in this, like in these big battles between like corporations and their big unions and everything is just like big and bureaucratic rather than thinking about changing the corporate form itself to better represent the employees in the form of a, of a cooperative. And so and a workers cooperative um, in particular, you know, and, and one of the big problems with, with Marx was he, he basically went on the attack against these other kinds of socialists against, you know, both Proudhon and, and, Robert Owen and sort of, you know, called them utopian socialists and just sort of dismissed them in favor of his like scientific socialism. And arguably that set, you know, the progressive agenda back 150 years because it got just sort of bogged down in like communism and these sort of state-based um, socialist uh, uh, regime that just ended up being, you know, basically genocidal, right? And uh, and so now there's, you know, hopefully, arguably this opportunity for these, you know, alt socialist ideas of sort of more local, not to call these like socialism, but just things that are, because I think there actually is, um, you know, sort of written about this fundamental way that it interacts with sort of Hayekian thinking and sort of Hayekian sort of localist, you know, uh, Hayek was sort of very much focused on, on, on the individual in the global society. Um, and I think arguably sort of missed the importance of um, of organizational boundaries and, and other kinds of local knowledge beyond just the individual entrepreneur. Um, but, you know, arguably his his thoughts sort of got extended into, um, you know, what became um, the work of uh, of the Ostroms and thinking about the commons and, and, you know, all these kinds of things that are now also prominent um, in the blockchain space. But all this to say, there's an opportunity now for that that energy of the sort of workers cooperative movement to kind of come back and to reformulate a way forward for technology companies, but also companies uh, uh, generally, and, you know, especially in, in, in the blockchain space to structure themselves differently, to actually be the change, you know, they claim they want to be in the world rather than just, you know, putting up more, you know, sort of token-based voting schemes uh, to, to organize and, and, and govern everything. So I think there's, you know, incredible opportunity for us to do things different. And, and we're trying to, you know, walk the talk a little bit at, um, at informal working on, you know, being structured as a cooperative and, and really working on these, um, these local money systems and, and, and trying to make that work but that's really what we see is um as as the potential you know killer transformative impact of of this technology so you um, need to hang yeah. out with biology man yeah i've uh i've you know we've we've chatted a couple times but uh uh i have i have some words to say to apologies <laughs> but you remind me of him the way that okay you, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, way, yeah. the way that your mind yeah. works uh yeah and the uh future society very interesting thinker and you know he's um made some interesting calls and, you know, yeah, the, there's, there's some interesting stuff in the network state for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think there's also some stuff missing and, and it needs to be a bit more grounded. And I'm sure he'd probably agree with, with some of what I say and maybe disagree with others, but yeah, it'd be interesting to, um, to chat with him more. Yeah. So what's the timeline for, okay. Not all that. I think we've, we've covered the future of society, but what, 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 what would you say is the timeline for true interoperability between all of these chains and easy use and actual say 50 million people using it i'm not going to jump to yeah. a billion you know but uh some some meaningful level of mainstream adoption so i think yeah. we can both argue that we don't have that yet no we, i i i don't know the number of users but probably a lot of the users are just there to sort of hold yeah. hold an asset and see yeah, i mean really yeah. people really using it for these you know for the purposes that you've described yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, it might take uh, five to 10 years or, or, or something like that, which, you know, I've probably been saying for the last five to 10 years. So <laughs> <laughs> me too. Uh, yeah, it turns out I've been 10 years in crypto since like this year or something, which is kind of wow. nuts to think about how little, uh, how much and how little we've accomplished basically as a, as a community is, um, is really, you know, food for thought. But, um, yeah, I think there's, uh, there, there's still years, years to go on this. I mean, at some level, you know, so we developed this interoperability protocol we call IBC, the inner blockchain communication protocol. Um, and that's seeing pretty widespread adoption and starting to be, you know, uh, understood as like a standard for interop between different chains. And, and so we hope to see a lot more of that and for that to make it a lot, uh, a lot easier for chains to connect and to reason about uh, their security models and, and, and things like that. Um, but for really, you know, to bring, you know, 50 million users on chain in meaningful ways, we need the applications, right? And and the applications have to get built and they have to be real. And we think the, you know, we happen to think um, uh, proper uh, payment systems, but is specifically based not on, uh, you know, on reducing the amount of money that's actually needed to make payments happen. That's what's so unique about, about collaborative finance is that you can actually collaborate to reduce the amount of money necessary to make all your payments um, and that that opens up really interesting uh, possibilities for liquidity saving, you know, especially especially relevant in this, uh, you know, increasing era of liquidity crises. I and mean, we've seen multiple banks fail this year, which is like yeah. kind of insane to think about. Um, and, and, you know, everyone's just like, oh, it's over. You know, uh, is it is it really over? Like, I mean, major institutions just failed like two months ago. So, um, you know, uh, <laughs> obviously we need to do something about this liquidity crisis that we're in. And, and the answer isn't just like print more currency units. Uh, it's somehow something else more fundamentally that has to do with like the structure of the payments graph and and, and the balance necessary um, within it. So so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sort of getting carried away from uh, what the original question was. But um, yeah, that's what we do here. So where can people yeah, keep up with you after this conversation? And then I guess if there's anyone who's a developer looking to build something, how can yeah. they become you know involved in the Cosmos ecosystem? Yeah, totally. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter, Buckmanster, at Buckmanster, B-U-C-H-M-A-N-S-T-E-R. Uh, our company is at informal.systems. Um, so we do a lot of interesting stuff. And we also do, you know, security audits and formal verification and this collaborative finance stuff and building Cosmos. Um, and uh, and then Cosmos itself, Cosmos.network. You can get started with the tutorials there, the developer academy. Um, you can start, you can build on Cosmos in many different language uh, languages. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of flexibility there. And uh, yeah follow Cosmos on Twitter. Hey, you have an amazing mind. I really enjoyed listening to that. And I hope we can Thanks do this again and dig, yeah. dig deeper. Sounds great. Yeah, it was great chatting. Thanks so much, Ethan.